Hello everyone, and welcome to STG's Blockchain and Sports Podcast. Today, we sit down with Matthew Lowe, VP of Operations at the Gaming Stadium, to discuss the state of esports. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Gauge. Welcome everyone, I'm your host Claire Robinson. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Matt Lowe, Vice President of Operations at the Gaming Stadium. We are going to explore Matt's 10 years of experience in the esports industry, how the industry has grown, and why esports are legit. Matt has a history in both esports writing and organizing tournaments. Through his endeavors, specifically through organizing esports tournaments, Matt got to know the local scene here in Vancouver quite well and has established himself as a bit of a staple. Matt took his passion from organizing tournaments to taking on the initiative of helping to build the gaming stadium a first-of-its-kind esports stadium in Canada. As their VP of operations, Matt is helping them grow their operations. Uh, The gaming stadium is located in Richmond, British Columbia, and is custom-built from the ground up. They have one purpose in mind, build the best damn place to learn, play, and watch your favorite esports. We are super excited to have him here today to give us his take on all things esports. Please welcome Matt Lowe. Thank you so much, Claire, for having me on the show today. (laughs) You're so welcome. All right, so we'll just start with a bit of your background in esports. What what is it and how can you speak to that? Sure. So with regards to esports, I think my my trajectory is a little different than many others. Uh, In today's world, most people get involved in esports by competing. Uh, You know, they start at the amateur level and then they kind of advance and go pro uh, that way. Uh, the difference with me, though, is that I took a, a different approach um, about, what year is it, 2018, <laughs> I have to do the math in my head. About 11 years ago, 2007, I started my own Warcraft blog, so I got into journalism and media and just writing about the game and um, you know, telling people how to provide them with strategies and tactics on how to, how to, how to excel in different parts of the game. And from there, I just kind of advanced slowly and I got picked up by uh, a small little outlet called Joystick, which is no longer around anymore, unfortunately. Uh, it used to be a part of AOL's Weblogs Incorporated back in the day. And uh, you might actually have heard of them because they also own sites like Engadget and Autoblog and such sites like that. So fast forward now to about 2013, 2014, there's this little game called Hearthstone that came out. It is a digital card game where uh, players acquire digital cards and they use them, they construct a deck out of them, and they play against their opponents. So for any of you listeners out there that play like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, it's kind of like an online version of, of those kinds of games. So at the time, there were many players uh, just getting started with the game, but there wasn't really anyone uh, organizing events at the local level. Because why would they? This is an online game. You can sit at home in front of your computer or your TV and just you know play this game at your own time. Uh, there was really no reason to kind of get together with uh, friends or, or whoever and, and play it face to face like you would an, an actual card game. And at the time, there was an initiative started by, by Blizzard, uh, which is the publisher and developer of, of Hearthstone. And they started this program called Fireside Gatherings. And the purpose of this program was to uh, pretty much do what I just said, which was to gather groups of local like-minded players who are passionate and enthusiastic about Hearthstone and just get them together in like a bar or a tavern or, you know, some kind of small space and just play the game. So my first event was in 2014 and it was held at a local 
uh, hobby shop, local like comic book store uh, in the back room. And by my standards, it, it was a success because we had four people show up, which was, you know, I mean, it's nothing now, right? But at the time it was great because, hey, we managed to get four people from outside their homes uh, to just come out and play the game. And this was kind of where Blizzard uh, made a great decision. They would release cosmetic rewards for people who showed up together in person to play. So that's kind of how they enticed and encouraged gamers to just kind of come out and get together in person. So that's just the start of it. So uh, the first couple, uh, the first year was just about getting people out of their comfort zone, getting them socializing, getting them talking to each other, um, and just you know being among uh, people and putting a face to their opponents. And it was great because they would start talking amongst each other. They would go over like uh, ideas or uh, deck strategies and, and little things like that. Uh, eventually, we started. Well, I started to advance into a more competitive format. So we started running things like tournaments or organized competitive play. And from there, uh, the the first competitive tournament we had, uh, I think it had about twenty two players. Then the next one after that had 24 and then 32 and it just kept growing and growing and growing every time. And uh, it just kind of exploded. Uh, you know, before I knew it, uh, I had been contracted by Blizzard to run a local qualifier or like um, what's called a, a playoff event. So yeah, that's kind of my, my history in this space. It was mostly to do with uh, just organizing and planning the logistics and staffing of different competitive tournaments. And from there, I've kind of branched out. And based on my experience and skill set there, that's kind of how I landed up as the operations mastermind at the gaming stadium. There you go. Well, that's pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. really cool that you were involved at a local level from such an early, early stage. And now you're on a big stage being involved at the local level. So congrats on, on all of that. Um, so from the outside, esports look like they're very antisocial and like it's one person playing an esport in their basements, pitch black by themselves. But you're saying that it's actually a very, very social um, activity and people enjoy not only getting together in person, but when they're playing by themselves, they're not actually by themselves. They're playing with their teammates who may not be in the same physical space, but they're with them in the game. Yeah, and that's true. Largely because, um, yeah, a lot of games are multiplayer oriented. You know, you have to play with a team to compete uh, in a lot of these titles like League of Legends or, or Counter-Strike or even Fortnite. And making friends online is key. So just because it looks like, you know, your son or daughter is standing in, in the room and playing these games all the time, the reality is that they're probably playing with a small group of, of friends and reliable you know, counterparts that they can depend on to help bail them out of trouble in the game or whatever the case may be. And sometimes these friends are even made online. You know, I've made a number of great friendships over the years over, you know, spread out all across uh, North America. So from New York to, to Texas, Arizona, Toronto. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I go to BlizzCon every year is that's the only time of year where I get to actually meet, the, all, meet up with all of them in person. We go out for dinner, we'll, we'll catch the convention and all that stuff. So uh, I get that there is a stigma and that there is an impression that uh, esports and gaming is kind of a solo oriented uh, affair, but the truth is that it's not always the case. So just because it looks like that doesn't mean it actually it's actually true. And having an outlet like Fireside Gatherings was kind of a way to encourage and reward players for coming together and getting together in person and and forging friendships that way. 
uh, for my Hearthstone community here locally in Vancouver, I've made a number of great friends who also share the passion for the game too. And we've always, um, you know, hung out together. We've gotten like like dinners, we've gone out for birthdays and all that stuff that we otherwise never would have if we had never met on the game. So it's kind of a great, uh, great way to go out and meet people in that sense. Super cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. My next question is, can you speak to, so you've seen, you've been in the tournament scene in the esports scene for a while now. Can you speak to how um, kind of the hard skills of esports have grown? So things like teamwork and reaction time and strategy, um, can you speak to how you've seen those improve and then, or maybe how you've seen esports athletes improve when it comes to those types of skills over the last however long? Yeah, it's getting more and more challenging every year i think i think some of the lowest tier competitive players today probably would be able to stand up to or even defeat the champions of Mm -hmm. like six or seven years ago like the standard just keeps getting better and better so when it comes to things like evaluating skills of gamers at the competitive level there's no unfortunately there's no real test because there's such a wide variety of games or and genres there's no like there's no 40 yard dash equivalent in in esports you can't um you know you can't make a gamer kind of undergo a battery of uh, assessments or anything like that i will say though that there is a i will have a sidebar for a moment and say that the uh, i believe the nfl uses a a test called the wonderlick test to gauge the cognitive abilities of uh of their athletes uh it's funny because there there's a professional esports player by the name of uh, Eugene Park, he's a mid laner for a team called the Immortals. And on a whim, uh, when they invited him to the studio, they made him take that test. He scored a 41 out of 50, which is pretty damn good. Uh, for comparison, uh, NFL quarterbacks Jared Goff of the LA Rams scored a 36. Uh, Carson Wentz of the Philadelphia Eagles scored a 40. So the fact that uh, you know this League of Legends player just came in with like completely cold, no preparation, no studying whatsoever, managed to to rank such a high score kind of shows what kind of cognitive abilities that these guys have. So in addition to things like reflexes and reaction time, you know, those are all huge, those are very important, especially with many of today's titles. There's another thing that I would attribute called uh, game sense. So the comparison to that would be something like hockey sense, knowing where other players are on the ice, uh, knowing where the puck is, knowing how the, you know, how the action's going along. It's it's hard to quantify, but it's it's something that can be slowly developed over time, and it's one of those things where I feel you either have it or you don't. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have it. That's why I'm here talking today, and we're talking about operations instead of actually living out my dreams as a competitive player. So, uh, now among leaders, things like strategy and tactics are crucial, especially for team games. However, I, I believe that the single most important factor when it comes to assessing uh, an esports player's ability is their ability to adapt. That is the biggest factor. Uh, Games will change every few months due to things like game balance or the introduction of new characters or new abilities. Could you imagine if like basketball, you know, needed, like if if basketball's three-point line extended out two feet or if, um, or if the ice surface at the, at Rogers Arena and around the, around North America uh, grew to the European size or whatever, like little small minor changes like that Will, will have a profound effect on, on sports and the athletes in general. Uh, however, for esports to remain you know, constantly fresh and innovative, they always make these changes every, every so months. And you know, like it or not, players have to be able to adapt to that. So yeah, that pretty much summarizes everything about games and skills. I know it's quite a bit. 
but yeah, yeah. no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, in not, I would say not even only in traditional sports, but just in society in general, there's this notion that a gamer is someone who sits in front of their TV in the basement for 14 mm-hmm. hours straight, um, doing nothing but eating McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, everything you just said kind of negates that stereotype, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, Professional gamers, can you speak to, you know, what they're doing day to day to improve these skills and kind of how, how it, um, reflects what traditional sport athletes are doing in terms of practicing specific skills and, um, you know, their 14 hour days are not just a free for all playing their game. It's actually very, very structured. Yeah. There's a specific regiment that goes along with uh, their day to day activities. Obviously, obviously things like. Uh, you know, exercise and their, their eating habits are quite important. For example, the Overwatch League has dedicated chefs specifically for their players to ensure that they don't stick to a diet of nothing but junk food and, and sodas. Um, so obviously each game will have its own unique set of uh, practice regimens. Uh, I will say that there is a, a game called Osu, which is a, uh, a rhythm point and click game. So something like Dance Dance Revolution, except you're using your your mouse and your hands to kind of point and click on circles according to the beat of uh, whatever song you're listening to. And games like that are, I find, I find them to be quite useful in the sense that they help you develop your reaction time, your accuracy, uh, your, your dexterity. So those are all very key things to, to develop at a mechanical level individually for players. Um, at the team-based level, uh, this is more common in esports than other sports, I find, is that they frequently conduct scrimmages against each other. Mm-hmm. So they will scrimmage other teams, even if it's their actual competition, to fine-tune ways of, um, of how to play certain uh, characters or, or heroes and to try out different strategies on maps to see what works and what doesn't. You do not see this often at the professional level. You don't often see uh, like the Canucks scrimming against the Oilers or the Kings or whoever, right? Like that doesn't happen because they have their own farm teams or their own internal prospects where they can kind of do those kinds of practices. At the esports level, that doesn't exist and you want to play against the best. Therefore, it's, you know, practice matches against other top tier teams. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not it's not sitting in front of a computer. For I wish. Hours. If only it were that easy. If it really was that easy to sit 14 hours in front of a screen, I would be like an Olympian or something like that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So the industry has grown in terms of both skill development and kind of the professionalism around um, training and practicing. Um, but it's also grown in terms of size. If you held that Hearthstone tournament today, you would have a hell of a lot more than four people show up to that tournament. Um, so it's grown in fan engagement um, and just pure uh, size of the industry. Can you speak to that at all and, and how you see uh, that change happening and is it gonna continue to happen? What are your thoughts on that? I do believe that in regards to the industry level that there's a lot more, there's way more production value going on. Like eight years ago, it would have been just you know a, a computer with some like one or two cameras or whatever, but now, uh, this day and age, you've got uh, LCS Studios by Riot and the Blizzard Arena, you know, down in, in Burbank, which was the old uh, Tonight Show studio. And these are full-fledged broadcast production studios that would have been unheard of 10 years ago, uh, broadcasting these games to like Twitch and, and YouTube and having uh, television agreements with like ESPN during certain times of the year. So Twitch definitely played a huge part in bringing uh, games to viewers at home. It also helped... Uh, 
uh, train and provide a platform for casters and analysts to become more professional. So, so now they're going from like t-shirts to, to polos to actually wearing blazers on a, you know, in front of a, in front of a camera. Uh, this would have been unheard of for, this would have been unheard of like a decade ago, right? So there's a lot of big money contracts going on as well. Uh, a lot of players are getting paid uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and some are even eclipsing uh, seven-figure payouts based on their pricing and their sponsorship arrangements. So uh, the de- industry is definitely improving and getting much more larger than what it was before. And branding and marketing opportunities are definitely exploding. Uh, last week, when I was at BlizzCon, they un- uh, Blizzard announced their partnership with Kellogg's by debuting a new brand of cereal called Lucio's, of which I have a box at home that I have yet to try. So yeah, it's definitely growing. I don't know where it's going, but it's definitely going in a positive direction. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Well, I think yeah. all, all signs say that it is. So you're probably in a good place. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a plug for our own company. We held uh, an event last week, uh, an esports roundtable titled Transforming Vancouver into a Global Esports Hub. And Matt was one of our speakers there and he did a fantastic job. Um, and we also had uh, a man named Gopal Patel from the Vancouver Canucks there, who was there to give us uh, a bit of his insights from on the esports industry from a traditional sports perspective. Um, and he said that the yes, the Overwatch League might fail, but it could also be the defining league of our generation. What are your thoughts on this quote? <laughs> I would say Gopal is correct. Uh, doing esports with professional sports owners is unprecedented. It has never been done. Uh, Earlier games have just had professional teams sprout out based on their own investors or their own, uh, you know, using their own resources. But this is probably the first time where a game has, where where owners and and team owners have worked with actual traditional sports owners to bring and combine both esports and traditional sports into the same space. Uh, I do believe that the Overwatch League kind of helped pave that way for other teams and you know other games and other industries to work together. So, for example, Soccer's PSG teamed up with Dota's uh, LGD, LGD Gaming, and they took second place and four million dollars at the recent uh, Dota 2 tournament, the International. So, f- for example, with teams like the Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, the Canucks, all these guys, they're you know they're they're signing up and working with esports teams and. All of this stuff represents opportunity. You know, it can't be wasted. It, it cannot be squandered. And I believe that this era of esports right now is similar to the tech boom we had in the late 90s. You know, imagine if we all invested, had the foresight to invest in like Apple or Google or Starbucks. We would be super rich right now. So I think this is the, we're in that kind of stage right now where everyone's trying to figure out what's the best way to get involved. And, um, you know, no matter what happens to the Overwatch League, it truly is going to set precedent and make make an impact on not just the esports industry but definitely the sports industry as a whole absolutely so another thing about the overwatch league is that they've taken on a traditional sports model wherein Mm -hmm. they have city-based teams competing against other city-based teams for a championship type um competition as opposed to tournament teams competing in various tournaments throughout the year. Right. How do you see, do you see this model taking over other esports outside of Overwatch? Do you see it being more successful than the tournament type model? How do you, what do you think about that? 
So as someone who's run like different types of competitions, I've dabbled in both organized league play and I've and I've tried working with like a circuit model, like for example how uh, the PGA Golf Tour works and how like. I think different racing sports also do where they compete in different locations around the world. Uh, in my case, I believe the league model is the better option of the two because it offers stability. It offers um, like a strict kind of schedule. You know what to expect. You know where you're going. You can plan your travel accordingly. And more importantly, you know what your competition's like. Uh, whereas with the, the circuit model where you're going around the world, you have to pick and choose which events are worth attending. You may or may not know what the field is like, so it's harder to prep to prep to prepare accordingly. Uh, now that could be a, a plus or a disadvantage depending on how you look at it, right? So uh, I do know that in at the uh, event production level, I prefer leagues because just having all those storylines in place there, like it opens up a lot of possibilities. It offers you know all that stability, which is crucial at this stage for something like esports. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I think. Esports has a lot to learn from traditional sports, and mm-hmm. traditional sports have a lot to learn from esports. Yeah, and that's great because traditional sports they've they've done a lot of that work. So why reinvent the wheel, right? We can just kind of take what worked and what didn't, and just apply it in the uh, the esports space. Absolutely, absolutely. So taking a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, kind of um, the ability to actually hone in specific skills for esports. Um, growing fan base, growing engagement, a growing industry as a whole. These are all things that you guys have clearly recognized at the gaming stadium. Um, Can you talk specifically about why you guys are taking on this initiative? Why are you building a stadium? Um, Why are you doing this? (laughs) Answer. Okay, honestly, so for me, it's definitely a big passion project of mine. It's one of those things where I never thought it could be a viable career. Uh, So... I guess in my case, it's I just want to see if it can actually make it happen. For me, it's a challenge to deliver uh, a facility that can uh, that can help develop and coach players, and not just players. We're talking about a whole uh, industry. Like broadcast analysts have to come from somewhere. Play-by-play, casters, production, uh, tournament organizers, all of them could you know benefit from a place where they can kind of come and train and develop their skills there too and possibly you know maybe in a couple of years from now maybe they can advance and uh and 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 use it as a viable career path for them so not just that though but when i was young i never had a a real place to go to kind of hang out with my friends and peers to to play games uh not at this level anyways so now we're building a facility where it's not just a simple gaming land center it's a community center where people can come, they can watch, they can watch big events from around the world, we can host our own viewing parties, we can run our own qualifiers. Like there's it opens up a whole host of of possibilities that were that was never around ten years ago for people like me. So now I'm at a point where, you know, I can't really compete anymore, but hopefully I can help inspire and develop the next generation of players and give them the opportunities that I never had when I was their age. Love it. So you had in your talk, you gave us your talk at our event last week. You gave us Matt's triangle, which was kind of <laughs> yes, the goal. Kind of cheesy. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was good because it, it clarified for me what exactly the gaming gaming stadium is. So you, can you tell us what that triangle is, and then just elaborate a bit on each of those points? Sure. So the gaming stadium, we there's three essential parts. I'm, I call it you know Matt's triangle. Uh, the different aspects are watch, learn, and compete. And you can think of it as a bit of a, a bit of a cycle. 
when players come into our stadium, we want them to watch whatever it is that we're, we're showing. So they could be hanging out with uh, their friends or maybe the parents are coming in to learn a bit more about the game. And from there, they're kind of watching what other players are doing. And that can be done live on our stage or it could be us live streaming an all-star game over a weekend or something like that. So the hope there is that now that they've watched these games, maybe they it kind of inspires them and, and they want to grow as a player. Well, guess what? Now we're also going to be hosting our own classes and our own workshops. And these will be aimed at, for example, uh, youth level players who are just getting started into games or even for parents who want to learn a bit more uh, about the title and, and how, you know, how the game works and all that stuff so they can recognize what's going on on, on the screen. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, the other side is we also want to be able to, we also want uh, aspiring players to kind of have a, a, an area where they can focus on their training more. Maybe they can't, they don't have that environment at home, but they can do it in a space where they can collaborate with other players, review strategy, go over mechanical skills, and, and that'll help them put them in a position where they can be competitive for years to come. So that's the learning side of it. Now, the last part is compete. Because at the end of the, day, of the day, we are a stadium and people come to stadiums to watch other people compete. So we will definitely be hosting our own tournaments, our own, you know, we will work with other publishers and game companies to help them run qualifiers because we'll be equipped to do so. So now we're providing a space where uh, some of our local players can actually put all the skills that they've learned in a competitive environment and see, you know, how well their training goes. And, you know, from there, it goes back to square one. They get to watch themselves play. They get to see where they messed up, uh, if, if they made any mistakes, and what they can do to constantly improve. Uh, realistically, uh, there's no such thing as a perfect player. There's always room for improvement in this space, no matter what they do. Every decision-making gets to be, every, every decision-making uh, moment gets to be uh, second-guessed, reviewed, and analyzed to see if they made the appropriate play. So at the end of the day, there's, that's, all the, that's pretty much my triangle. That's kind of what the stadium's all about. And, you know, really, it's, if, if something we do doesn't quite align with those three uh, principles, then we need to reconsider why we're doing it because it doesn't match, doesn't line up. All right. So watch, learn, and compete in mm -hmm. esports at the gaming stadium. Um, so last big question. Can you tell us in one sentence why esports are legit and why they can't be ignored? I kind of rolled my eyes there because it was one sentence and it's hard for me to answer that question in one sentence because it's, I don't think that's really possible. Uh, well, esports is growing. There's no doubt about that at all in any way, shape or form. So yeah, there's a lot of growth involved in it. Whether or not esports is a sport, I personally think that's a maybe. All I know is that esports has uh, a couple things going for it. It's competitive, it's entertaining, there's money involved, and you know, it's fun to watch. So whether or not that's an esport, I'll probably leave that up to the listeners to decide. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of different things going on for it. Some people say it's an esport, some say it's not. Uh, you know, the jury's out on this one still. So you could make arguments either way. And I'm going to be firmly right in the middle. And I will say that, um, yeah, that's going to be up to everyone else to decide because I can't be the one that makes that kind of decision. All right. You're not ready to take that authority no, position. Okay. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe today. one day. All right. So where can our listeners learn more about the game? gaming stadium and follow you on social media so on twitter we have uh you can follow us on on twitter at uh at gaming stadium cs 
Uh, unfortunately, the gaming stadium was too long for Twitter, so we had to settle for one character short. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook under The Gaming Stadium. Uh, for me personally, if you want to follow an account with you know, cat memes and other pictures, uh, it's just at Maticus, M-A-T-T-I-C-U-S. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And as usual, very entertaining. Thank you. It's Thanks a so much. Next time on The Gauge, we are joined by Simon Ogus, co-founder of Sport Techie, to dive into the world of sports, technology, and esports, and to see the impact they are having on the professional sports industry today. See you next time.